was talking with a few guys the other day about life insurance. And as we discussed the different possibilities and the different policies that are out there, I looked at him and I said, man, with some of these policies, I'd be worth more dead than alive. My wife would finally be able to afford a brand new car. My kids could get braces. They would be able to just enjoy life a little bit better with all the money that some of these policies could afford them. Even though that comment I've heard over my life many, many times, it often brings a, a giggle or a laugh. But there's just a little hint of the way we view life, what we put value on in life. We put value on most of the time when we're talking to people, when we're going through life, we put value on what somebody's worth. We put value on the paycheck that they're bringing home, the car that they drive, the house that they have. But we often miss what the true value of life is. When we have this perspective, I can't be a friend with that neighbor. Man, you ever see the jalopy they drive? I'm sure they've said that many times about me. <laughs> That's why when, I, when my wife can cash in on one of these insurance policies, she can afford a new car, right? It has a slight hint of what we value in life, a slight hint of our perspective on life, on what we put a value on another person's life. We put more value on their paycheck, more value on the clothes they wear, more value on the car they drive than who they are as a person, than we do upon their character, than we do upon their walk with Christ. I think sometimes... In our life, we measure people by the Benjamins. If you measure my life by the Benjamins I bring home, I'm definitely worth more dead than alive. <laughs> if that's the measurement, I don't meet up. I, I might as well fold up and go somewhere else because I don't think you want to hear what I have to say. When I went to uh, Philip to ask for Deborah's hand in marriage for his blessing on my life, I asked him out to dinner. And I just had one simple request. I said, Phil, would you bring your financial portfolio? I'd like to know if you can afford me as a son-in-law. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Deborah is the reward <laughs> in and of itself. But you know what? The Howards do have a tradition. They, their great-grandfather was a horse trader. So when I was sitting at their dinner table, I asked Phil, can I have your blessings in proposing to Deborah? And he said... Huh, well, open your mouth. And I just thought, hey, that's kind of a strange request. And as he got out the tongue depressor, moved my tongue around and pulled on my cheek, looks peering inside my mouth, he screamed out. He said, Mama, his teeth are straight. So he gave the blessing for me to propose to Deborah. <laughs> Don't we have different measurements of the way that we measure a life, put a value on another person's life, even our own life? We put a measurement on our own life. A lot of times we put undue pressure, undue expectations on our own life that we cannot even live up to. And because we can't live up to these crazy, out-of-the-question expectations on the value of our own life, we often fold under our own pressure, under our own expectations, the way we view ourselves the self-worth that we create for ourselves, But you know what? We also need to be careful about the world. We have these perspectives. It's much more intensified in the world. When I was reading an article from UNICEF, um, United Nations 
Monetary Fund for Children, uh, International Monetary Fund for Children, it went through, was given a report on prostitution. And I quote, it says, a young girl prostitute is worthless by the time she's 25. I thought, that's a pretty stark statement for UNICEF to say. Her life is pretty much worthless by the time she's 25. STDs have destroyed her body. Most likely cervical cancer has set in. Her mental state has been completely destroyed. I can't think of anything more desperate and more lonely and more depressing than being a prostitute. How lonely of a life could that be? person in such dire straits somebody that is used and abused every day and here a quote is coming out saying they're pretty much worthless by the time they're age 25. Where do we get our perspectives on the value and the worth of life? When we measure people by a dollar doesn't it kind of leave an emptiness in the pit of your stomach? A sour feeling? Is that really the way we view somebody? By the dollar amount in their life? Is that what we say, that's all of your value, that's all of your self-worth, is all tied up in one thing that is really extremely hard to get, isn't it? The undue pressure that we put on ourselves, but the undue pressure that we put on someone else by saying, you're valued by this. This is your monetary value, therefore this is what you're worth in my sight. Where do you get your self-worth? Where do you place yourself on the value scale of life? Where do you measure? How do you score on that? I would imagine if you're like me, I score low every time. I never meet the expectations I have for myself. I never meet the goals that I've set every year. Every year I write, write out the one-year goal, the five-year goal, the 25-year goal, and I miss the mark every year. A lot of times at the end of the year, if, if I dare to look at the goals I've set for that year, for the five-year goals I've had set since college, I can say I haven't lived up to it, and I often am depressed and feel worthless at that. I've got to tell you, though, right now, as I put this sermon together, as, as I've started to preach it, I'm preaching to one person. There's just one person I'm preaching to right now. And I wish it was a lofty goal to say, Jesus is sitting in the third pew right here, and I'm preaching to him. It's not that lofty of a goal. I'm preaching to a guy named Sean Giese. I'm grabbing Sean Giese by the lapel, and I'm pulling him in. I'm saying face-to-face, Sean Alexander Giese, you've been missing it. You've misunderstood this. Your Christian walk isn't supposed to be that grim. There's actual joy to be had. There's rejoicing. There's worth in this Christ that you serve. Sean, lighten up a little bit. Sean, look at the value that Christ has put on your life, the value he's put on your head, because he's bought you with an infinite price. Do you realize on God's scale you are priceless? You are priceless. An infinite price has been paid for your life. Wow. I looked up priceless objects over the weekend. The astronomical amount of money they want for paint on a canvas. 
But Jesus said, the artwork in your life, you are Christ's workmanship. You are Christ's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. And I've paid an ultimate, infinite price for your life to set you free from the shackles of sin that have started to destroy you. And you can experience so much more than even what you put the value on in your own life. Jesus says, come all you are heavy laden. Come those who are thirsty. Come those who are hungry. Come those who hunger for righteousness and you will be filled. As Christians, we have the greatest opportunity to experience joy in this life. The greatest opportunity to experience peace during trials. The greatest opportunity to experience hope in persecution, in harassment. When we go on to read this, Paul says that you, uh, I have a passage later, sorry, in Mark uh, 10, 29. It says you'll, you'll have persecutions. It's coming your way. You know what? A non-saved person, a Buddhist, a Muslim, has persecution because they are an image bearer of God and Satan is out to destroy them. But in this life with persecutions, in this life we can have a hope, we can have a joy, we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding because of our life in Christ. Amen. The thing is, I know I'm a little slow on this. It's taken me all these years to really get a grasp on what Paul is saying here in Philippians. Romans is the crown. Ephesians is the crown jewel. And Philippians is the purple garment that holds the crown on the head. Philippians is an amazing book. We often look to so many places to bring happiness into our life. As I listened to Paul's sermon, I was on vacation so I had to get caught up, and I was listening to Paul's sermon, and he talked about being a Niners fan. The whole family being a Niners fan. Oh, that can bring such great happiness and excitement. But that excitement is only there when they're winning, when they're beating the Raiders. It slips away so quickly and is so fleeting when the Raiders are on top and they're beating the Niners. There are so many things that we look to in this life to try to make us happy. The deal with happiness is it's based on the word called happenstance. Where you're standing in happiness as it's happening. As happiness is happening, happenstance, I am happy. When the happiness, the happenstance is ended, my happiness is gone. It's fleeting. It's not eternal. It's not lasting. Our society, just the United States, to try to make ourselves happy, we snort 300 tons of cocaine a year. America, to soothe its nerves, smokes 25,000 tons of marijuana every year. That's a... Over 100 semi-trucks, fully loaded, driving down the streets. How does it get here undetected? I have no idea. But America is smoking it just to bring a moment of happiness into their life. We have the highest rate of psych meds in the world for depression and anxiety. We're killing ourselves to be happy. 
in all of history. We are the most medicated generation in all of history. The most medicated generation in all of history. That's an amazing thought to me. Such an amazing thought. But I want to give a disclaimer. There was a time when I took Ritalin for myself. Hyperactivity, concentration. I'll tell you what. I had benefits from it. I learned from it. It was something that I needed in my life. If you have been prescribed medications, please continue on them. I'm not saying get off of your medications. But I'm telling you that when you're speaking to yourself and that joy is fleeting and you have no joy, you're feeling hopeless. Anxiety's pressing in upon you. You're depressed and it's hard to wake up. It's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to go to bed. Jesus. Jesus brings a peace to your soul. Like I said a minute ago, I'm a little bit slow, but there are many of you here today and you are experiencing peace beyond all comprehension. You're experiencing joy in this life. You're experiencing hope even when at work people are harassing you because of your faith. Even though you're spurned by your own family, you're still experiencing hope and a peace and a joy that surpasses all understanding. There's many people, I've heard your stories over and over. I've heard new stories and I'm amazed when I see it. I, I've, I've had experiences of having peace in the midst of great trials. But when I hear somebody else talk about their trial, I'm like, Lord, I couldn't hang in their trial. That, 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 that would kill me. But to see their testimony and that they have a hope and a joy and a peace, it's unfathomable. But it's possible. It's possible because they are living for Christ. They still proclaim Christ. They still come to a worship service. They still say, yes, this is heavy. I have great sorrow, but it is possible through Jesus Christ to have a great joy and a great peace. I'd like to look at a man who found joy, a man who found peace, a man who said, I have great joy in the midst of great sorrow. It's two emotions on extreme end of the spectrum. I have great sorrow for those who are perishing and going to hell. I have a great sorrow for my own brethren. But yet I have a great joy experiencing it at the same time. It doesn't matter what you're doing in this life, where you're going or where you've been. There is going to be a time in your life when you experience the pressures of great sorrow in your life. And I'm here to tell you that Paul says, the scripture says, that you can even have a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. As I take a look at this, I, I, I was wondering, man, Paul's going to help us out. Well, help, self-help. I wonder how much um, self-help books cost, how much are being produced every year. So I looked it up, $14 billion a year is spent on self-help books, self-help courses, infomercials. $3 billion a year spent on self-help infomercials. Are you guys uh, insomniacs? You guys have seen dozens of those, right? They're making billions on those things. Self-help audiobooks, $2 billion a year is what we spend. If Paul was alive today, he'd be a billionaire. 
He's telling you how to find joy in life, how to find peace, how to whoop depression, how to have a, 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 a life that's worth something. Man, no wonder the Bible is the history's all-time bestseller. Add the Bible to your health self help self-help collection. Thanks. <laughs> Add the Bible to that. Oh, wow. When you look in the Bible and you read stuff that says this word that you're reading is active and alive. It interacts with your soul. It's sharper than any two-edged sword dividing the thoughts of the heart. When do you need your thoughts divided? When you're saying, I'm worthless. When you're saying, I'm depressed. When you're saying, anxiety has overridden me. When you're saying, where is the joy and the peace and the hope in this life? You need the scriptures to divide it. To get it out, to cut that cancer out of your life. To destroy those thoughts. Oh, one of the best self-help books is the scriptures. When you look into it, it teaches you to say, Oh, my soul, why are you downcast within me? Why are you disturbed, depressed, ridden with anxiety? What do I do? Put my hope in the Lord. Oh, why should I put my hope in the Lord? Oh, Lord, you are a shield about me and the lifter of my head. A shield about me. No weapon forged against you will prevail. Amen. A shield about you. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. For this is the heritage of the saints of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. He is a shield about those who have put their faith and trust in him. He is the lifter of your head. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Why are you depressed and anxiety-ridden? Call upon the name of the Lord. Look to the Lord. He will lift your head. He'll clear your slate of all of your sin. He will look at you and say, I don't care how much you failed, Sean Giese. I love you, and I've provided a way for your salvation, and I will walk with you to the very end, and I will deliver you by mercy into heaven. I got to tell you, don't get me wrong on some of this. Some of you guys need help, self-help courses. <laughs> you guys are prickly pears. I know it's kind of hard to get past the exterior. You know, it pierces your fingers. It's a little bit bloody. But you've told us there's a really nice guy inside. My wife has said for years, Sean, you need some etiquette courses. She doesn't say a bull. She says you're like a gorilla in a china closet, Sean. I guess I'm just having fun destroying everything, not just running into it. But we do need a self-help course, but that self-help course is in Scripture. It teaches you grace. It teaches you grace towards the prickly pears in your life. It teaches you grace to disarm a, a, a harsh word with a kind word that turns away wrath. Oh, the self-help course that we need is the grace that's taught in the Bible. We are given so much grace as we understand the grace that's given to us, as we believe and put our faith and trust in Scripture, that grace will flow from our lives into the lives around us.
So today, let's see if we can move up on our joy scale, on our hope scale, on our peace scale. Not have a temporary happiness, but have a joy that's eternal. Let's look at uh, Philippians 1. Philippians 1:18b. I'm going to start just a half sentence before that. I'm reading out of the NIV. NIVs are in the pews in front of you. Um, it says, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. I actually um, wanted to just use one verse. For me to live is Christ, but um, through uh, coaching and stuff, we expanded it to these 87 verses. And it's a little bit too much for me to bite off, so I'm going to just hit a couple of spots in here so we don't stay past uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> I, I just, I want to start back in 18 where it says Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. What's amazing here is when Paul, when Paul went to, to, to Philippi, he preaching the gospel and he was thrown in prison. I don't want to go to any city if I've ever been in prison there. I don't think I would have any joyful thoughts of that city. But while he was in jail, the Philippian jailer put his faith in Jesus Christ. When he was released, he, 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 he preached the gospel and Lydia, a, a, a very savvy businesswoman, came to faith in Jesus Christ. The little fledgling church that was there is the, is the church that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where it says that they gave to Paul a great offering beyond their ability to give. Wow, what a place, what a history, what, what, what a thought. Here it is, you get out of prison. Man, when you get out of prison, you think anybody wants to hear the gospel from you? If everybody knew, if you were such a famous person that went to prison and you came out, would somebody want to hear the gospel from you? Well, here it is. Paul is saying there are people, in this previous uh, verses, there are people preaching Christ out of selfish gain. They're preaching for money. They're preaching for fame. They're preaching for wealth. And they're slandering his name. Here Paul is again in another prison, and they got more fodder to chew on Paul. To say, oh, we are much better than that. 
probably very charismatic preachers, men that, that can move you just by speaking and opening their mouth, and they're slandering Paul, and Paul is saying, I don't care. I don't care. Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. Paul, you're in chains. You're in shackles. You're telling me that falsely imprisoned, just for preaching about a religion, just for telling the gospel of Jesus Christ, they put you in prison, and you say you have joy while you're there? These things are unfathomable even to me. I want to hope in them. I see it in another man. I've seen it in people at co in different congregations I've been a part of. I've seen many believers that live this, uh, this life out in Christ, this joy. I've seen it in you, and it gives me hope to continue when I have trials of my own that I face. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. Later on, he tells us to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Paul is saying joy all through these four little chapters. There's three pages, 16 times. There's joy in Christ, rejoice in Christ. There's a message here for all of us. But he's rejoicing over what Pastor Gabe was preaching it last week, the partnership. He's rejoicing over the partnership. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers. Wow. Do you know how much this ministry is dependent upon your prayers? No matter where you are in life, no matter what you think, your prayers are invaluable to this ministry. Amen. Amen. Lift this ministry up with prayer. Partner with this ministry in prayer. Ask the Lord to deliver those around us out of the darkness, out of the shackles and chains that are leading them to hell. Partner with this ministry in prayer. The Philippians have been partnering with Paul since its inception. They've given to Paul sacrificially so that he can spread the word, so that he can plant churches, so he can train up elders, so he can train up deacons, so he can get the gospel out where people hear the salvation message, and they've been intimately involved since their inception. But not only that, they've continued the work at home. They've continued in prayer. They've continued in preaching the gospel. They've continued in the work of the ministry at home, partnering with Christ in the gospel. Paul is also saying he is helped by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's saying you partners are being helped also. It's not just Paul that gets that privilege. Every single one of us here today who have put faith in Christ Jesus has this promise that Jesus Christ's Spirit will help sustain you and keep you through this journey called life. Paul goes on to say, it's an amazing statement. He goes on to say, I'm hard-pressed. I'm torn between going to heaven and staying here. I don't quite understand that. I just think maybe Paul knew Christ so well that he could just say, I release my spirit. My, my, my time is done, and I'm going to be in heaven. I, I don't, Paul was, gives a testimony, I was lifted up into the third heaven. Christ saw Jesus' throne. He saw the heavenly realms. I, we're not privileged to that because I don't think we can handle it. If we had the opportunity to see the third heaven, we'd come back to earth and say, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> I 
I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for this here on earth because this is too much when the greatest reward is in heaven with Christ. In his throne room, in his presence, is such a great reward. Paul goes on to say, that is far better for me. It's far better for me personally. But he says, for your sake, for the sake of the gospel, Philippians, and ultimately us, because we're in this book, we're reading his word, we're reading about this interaction, it is ultimately for our benefit in the faith and our growth in joy in Jesus Christ. And I, can, I will continue with you all, with all of you, for your progress and joy in the faith. Wow, progress in joy. He wants you to know that as you know Christ, your joy scale will max out. No longer dependent on happiness, happenstance, the Niners or the Raiders winning. No more dependent on the job that I have or I don't have. I'm dependent on my joy because of Jesus Christ and who he is. Paul has these two great choices set before him. He's convinced that absent from the body is presence with Christ. We're told Jesus says himself, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a way for you to get there. The streets are paved with gold. Just getting these images, I'm saying, Lord, I've had enough. I want to be there. I, I, I want to be there. The amazement, the tranquility, the peace, the joy of being in heaven in Christ's presence is a great pull for any man or woman. And it is a tremendously great pull for Paul. He has treasures laid up beyond the blue. He says, I continue on here because it'll profit me. It'll profit me because I'm magnifying Christ. It'll profit me because I'm winning souls for Jesus. It'll profit me because as I labor here, I'm building up treasures in heaven. As I bring glory and joy and magnify my Savior, I'm building up treasures in heaven that will never perish. Moth will not eat and rust will not destroy, and it will last me through eternity. This is far better. I want to get back to 21. Um, for to me. What an amazing statement. I don't know if there's any statement quite like this in the Bible. Uh, you, you can talk to me about 2 o'clock. Don't come after service. <laughs> but about 2 o'clock, you can, you, you can point out some more spots. The, Paul is saying, for to me. He's saying, I don't care what's going on with these other preachers around. I don't care what's going on in their lives. I don't care that they're slandering my name. I don't care that I am in prison right now. For to me... To live this life and be on this journey is Christ. Everything in Paul's life is for the glory of Christ Jesus. For I know that in my body, Jesus will be glorified. If I continue in my body, Jesus will be glorified. Well, Paul bore on his body the marks of being an apostle. But more than that, his life 
and his testimony, the words that flow out of his mouth. The words that flow out of your mouth are the most powerful things in the world. They are the most powerful things in the world because it can slice a man down or it can build a man up. It can, oh man, Pastor Larry was preaching deadly silence last week. It, Jeremiah said, I decided to keep my mouth shut. Keeping your mouth shut can be deadly. Jeremiah said it was deadly to his own soul, but it can be deadly to those who are around you. Because if you open your mouth, you could deliver them a message of salvation that breaks the shackles of sin and change a man's life forever and build them up. Man, how much a family changes when one person gets saved. How much your own life changes when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philemon, I think it's 6, NIV says it really well. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may experience the fullness of Christ in your life. You are experiencing the fullness of Christ in your life, this joy that goes beyond comprehension when you are sharing the gospel with people around you. Paul says he's convinced He's convinced. He knows. He says, I know that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Even if Paul continues in this life, he knows that his creator, his savior, will complete the good work that he started in him. He knows that in his God, there's no shadow of changing. He will deliver every promise he's given. After this service, if, if, if I've um, muddled up the, the, the presentation, if I've muddled up the message, there's, there'll be some books out in the lobby that, that can help clarify a lot of this. One is called The Dangerous Duty of, uh, of Delight. The dang, it's, it's 100 pages, the kind of book I like. Short, sweet, to the point. <laughs> Only took me two or three weeks to get through it. 100 pages. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a great book. If I muddy up this message, or if you want more encouragement and hope in this faith in Christ, pick up that book. And there's another book out there called The Promises of the Bible. Pick up one or both of those books. There's only about 20 of them. So if you buy them up, too bad, second service. But, but pick those up and look at the promises. H have you gone through a promise book? The promises that God gives you, the promises of Scripture? There's so many promises in there. It, it, it's an amazing thought, but there's no shadow of changing in this God. He's a God that will deliver every word that comes from his mouth, will accomplish all that it's set out to do. Amen. That's the God we believe in. That's the God we serve. Pick up one of those books. I don't make any profit. I didn't write it. <laughs> the Philippians, in the path that they're traveling, in the path that they're going, will continue to grow in their joy, will continue to build up their treasures in heaven as they magnify Christ. It, 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 it's been wonderful being at this church for 20 years. I know it's by prenuptial agreement, but it's still been wonderful. <laughs> it's been an amazing journey. I've never seen and met Christians um, that have had such influence on my life like I have here in this church. When, when Paul, when uh, Pastor Gabe was preaching last week, he was talking about the comparison of the Philippian church with Valley Bible Church. Man, I've never seen a church give this much to, to missions. 
I, I've never seen a church like this give out of the agape fund like it has. The, the Christmases last year, when you gave 197 children, you, you flooded their living rooms with Christmas presents. What, what, what an amazing place to be. But as you continue in this, your joy in Christ will increase. Paul is saying it's a possibility even for your joy to increase. I think of a, 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 a couple here that, that labors for Christ. They, they teach a citizenship class. They are in Awanas on Wednesday nights. They're, they're, they're helping out a, a, a mission church over in Berkeley Start. When you see their lives in their 80s, Ed and Bernie Wong, you got to talk to them. <laughs> talk to them, ask them about the stories, ask them what they've been involved with over the, the years that they've been Christians. And they say, this is the greatest joy in all of my life. And they continue to labor for Christ. Paul said that he learned to be content in all circumstances. I don't know, but I hope and pray that if I'm ever put in jail, I can have that kind of content. <laughs> if I'm ever arrested for preaching the gospel, I hope that I can persevere through that and say, I'm doing this for the joy of serving Christ. But you know what Paul is saying? It's a possibility. It's a possibility. It, it, it can be there in your life if you surrender to Christ. If you magnify and glorify his name, even in prison, even in jail, even in shackles, even under the beatings, even under the stonings, even under the curses from those around him, even from his own brothers and sisters on his journey through, through life, he still claims that he has joy in magnifying Christ because he's content in all circumstances. There's three things that cannot be separated. They all go hand in hand. When you speak of Christ's glory, your salvation goes hand in hand with that. It's right there, nestled right up against it. It is inseparable. The other thing that's inseparable from that is your joy in Him. Your joy in Christ's glory, in the salvation that He's given you, is an integral part of your life. I can remember Pastor Rich, he would say, I think when we get to heaven and we see Jesus, Jesus is going to say, your Christian life, your Christian walk wasn't supposed to be that grim. There is, supposed, there is joy to be had in knowing Christ. Amen. There's joy to be had in proclaiming Christ. There's joy to be had in this service as we magnify and lift up the name of Jesus. There's joy in magnifying his name. Those three things are inseparable. If you're missing out on this joy, this peace, and this hope, then there's two things that need to happen. One of two things that need to happen. Number one, turn your life over to Christ. Turn your life over to him. I'm speaking of a joy and a hope and a peace that's unfathomable and incomprehensible that will follow you all the days of your life. Turn your life over to Jesus. Call upon his name. Repent from your sins and turn to him and call upon him. The second possibility here 
uh, of one of the things that need to happen. Pastor Paul was preaching. The, the biggest thing that just stuck in my brain was remember. Remember. There's been a song that has brought me um, peace. And, and, and it's brought me encouragement. And it's, I don't know the name of the song, but in there it says, Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. I've sat at the dinner table after everybody else has gone to bed, downcast in my spirit, depressed, anxiety-ridden, wondering what life is all about, and I started writing down every blessing God has given me in my life, and it brought my head up. God lifted my countenance. Christian, if you're here today, Call on the name of the Lord. Remember him. Remember what he's done in your life. If you're sitting there, I mean, there's been times I've sat in a pew. I, there's nothing he's done for me. What has he done for me lately? Start with salvation. Just put that down. And then he forgave me of stealing that. He forgave me of doing that. He forgave me. He cleansed me. He's faithful. He still loves me. Get the list going. If that doesn't change your countenance, get saved. <laughs> um, I gave a challenge last time I was up here. Hey, I gave a challenge of being a minute man, being a minute woman. I, I, I know two people who, who took me up on that challenge. One gives me reports. She's in the choir. Her family ha has done it. The, the, the challenge was 15 minutes of your morning, just 15 will make such a difference in all of your day and all of your life. 15 minutes. Be a minute, man. Seven and a half minutes reading the Word. Seven and a half minutes praying. This is the challenge. The challenge then was read the first chapter of Ephesians for 30 days. The same chapter every day for 30 days. Chapter 2 every day for 30 days. The, the, the first report she gave me is, I'm so confused, I don't understand it. And at the end of the time, I was like hear from her saying, glory to Christ, I understand. The next challenge for 30 days, Philippians chapter 1. Read it for 30 days. Seven and a half minutes. It takes me nine. Seven and a half minutes to read it. Seven and a half minutes to pray before you go to work. Talk about the anxiety lifted. Talk about the depression lifted. Talk about the worries lifted from your heart and your soul and be able to face the day because if you've been in the Word of God, you've heard His encouragement, you've heard what He does in your life, and you've prayed and asked God, God, you may not change those circumstances. I pray that you will, but if you don't, help me live through those circumstances. Be a minute man or a minute woman. I brought up a quote from UNICEF a little bit earlier, and it, and it said that, Young girls that are prostitutes are generally worthless by the time they're 25. I have a message for that girl. You're an image bearer. You're created in the image of God. And he loves your soul. And he doesn't care what society has put on you for your worth. He has put infinite worth on your soul and your life. There is a message that we have for a dying world. 
A world that's looking for a happiness and can't find it. Looking in all the wrong places and we have a message that will deliver them. I want to read one, one, one more thing. And, and we'll close on this. I'm not going to go into a lot of explanation on it. It's Mark chapter 10 verse 29. This is, this is incredible, so write it down. Open your Bible, mark it up. Put it on your, on your, on your cell phone. This is something you want to read every day. Just, just read it. Keep read it and read it and read it and read it until it starts to sink in and, and you get a comprehension of what it's saying. Mark 10, 29. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. He goes on to say, and persecutions, and inherit eternal life. Well, one interpretation I read from Wilkinson, he said, the persecutions are here, but amidst the persecutions, he's still going to give you a hundred times more than you've ever given up for him. He'll give it to you overflowing, packed down and compressed more than what you've ever given to him. Give your life to him. Christian, today, my brother and my sister, continue. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Continue in the faith and watch what God has planned for your life and what he continues to do in your life. And there will be greater and greater rejoicing as you go. Let us close in prayer. Holy Father, we're amazed, we're enthralled, we're in awe of the grace that you've given us. You have paid an infinite price. We are priceless in your sight. It, it's something that's hard for me to understand. But, but I can't think of giving up my own child to save someone. I, I can't. It's, it's pri my child is priceless. You couldn't put a price on my child, but you didn't put a price on Jesus. You said, I'm giving an infinite price an infinite ransom for this man, for this woman, for this child that even the world discarded. We thank you. We're amazed by that. I pray that my brothers and sisters will continue to experience the joy of Jesus Christ in their life and will continue to grow in that joy so that they can say, I know my purpose and I know my worth. My worth is priceless to my Savior. I ask these things in your precious son's name. Amen.